after the last few chapters we've been on, uh, maybe chapter 40 through 47, the overarching thing, we see the sovereignty of God. He keeps declaring there's no other God. There's no God beside him. He's the Lord of creation. He created it all. He created calamity and all of these things. And I told you about God and by being in church, I don't know how many sermons you ever hear on the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign. Uh, that word as a noun, when you say God is sovereign, it means that one that's possessing or uh, held to possess supreme political a power, a sovereignty, a, a, stream, a supreme power over all. Uh, another one says, uh, B is one that exercises supreme authority within a limited sphere. And we know God operates supreme power, not within a limited, but an unlimited sphere, because he said he's the God of heaven and of earth, and that he's the God that made it all. He created it all. So not a limited sphere. He's sovereign over unlimited sphere. Uh, the last one, uh, and all of these, these, uh, is a Merriam Webster's dictionary of the word sovereign because the word sovereignty is not in the Bible. So it says an acknowledged leader. And that's why I say all of us come to the word of God and we come to the Bible. We see God as being sovereign because he is God. And he talked a lot about idols in the 46th chapter, which we'll start next week, is about idols. It's Baal and Nebo. I don't know if you heard of Baal and Nebo, if you've read the book of Daniel. There's some extra biblical books, the Apocrypha, that the Catholic Church and some others has, and it has those books in it about Daniel and Baal and the dragon and all of those things. But it's mentioned here because... There are idols or whatever, but us that believe in God, we believe God is sovereign, that he's omniscient. But a lot of us, I, I don't know if we knowing exactly what we're believing when we say that he's sovereign or omniscient. And if we believe that in that we are children of God, it should enhance our walk of faith. That's why I kind of entitled this one, Living by Faith and God's Sovereignty. Because if God's sovereignty and we children of God, nothing could happen to us before our time. Because God is in control of everything and that he indeed is managing all. The deists believe that God created the world and all the things, but he left it up to its own running. You know, he's not running it. But we believe in God's total involvement and maintenance of the earth and that he provided eventually watches over his children, those that he had ordained unto eternal life, those are the ones that actually shall believe, those that are ordained to eternal life. Uh, uh, sovereign, if we use the word sovereign as an adjective, uh, it's superlative in quality. And we know that God, we can't measure the quality. How can we measure, know anything more than what God had told us about himself? There's no com nothing that can compare 
Isaiah the 40, let's look at Isaiah the 46th chapter in the fifth verse says, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like that and that we may be like uh, nothing. That's why I say we can't, there's no comparison like a lot of people, good and evil and Satan and God. Well, it's no opposite of God. God created Satan. He made Satan, you know, God, Satan is a servant of God. So we, we're we not looking at opposites. We're looking at an omniscient being and omnipotent being. Verse 9 says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. So I say be God's many, but none of them rises to this stature of being the sovereign God. Hey, it's, that's what sovereign mean in the sovereignty of God. There's nothing that you can compare unto God. Uh, when God swears by himself in the book of Genesis 22 and 16, Jeremiah 22 and 5, Hebrews 6 and 13, Isaiah 45 and 23 says, I've sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Because how could he swear by any other greater than himself? There's nothing else he could swear to that's greater than he. That's why he swears unto himself. What a God we serve. Uh, another adjective is it's of the most exalted kind. In other words, supreme, a supreme being, the exalted. Kind of notice that God Almighty and the Holy One is Isaiah uses a lot of names for God, and that's not used in other places in the Bible because we're talking about, as they said, God gave Jesus a name above every other name. There's no name in comparison of equal to that name, that name is above. Nothing rises to that point. That's why the Jehovah Witnesses fail at when they talk about Jehovah God and all the name of Jehovah or whatever. Mm. But God saw fit to name Jesus and to give him that name that's above every name that's named among men. Uh, some of the things here uh, may be a little bit off the beaten path, but another one is has it says having generalized curative powers. Well, we know God has powers to heal, powers to bring plagues, powers to reverse and have miracles. He has powers to bring back from the dead. He can call that which is not into being. He's the only one that can call that which is not into being. That's how he created the earth from ex nihilo. In other words, from nothing, God created the earth. That's why this is not the real world. The spiritual world is the real world. And God created all this from the nothingness of what we have there. It says of an unqualified nature. Now, we may need to leave that one alone. That's a theological question that people looks at or whatever. But when we say of an unqualified nature, we're saying that we have a nature, man has a nature, mankind's nature, but of a spiritual nature to nature of God, 
we can't qualify, quantify that, the nature of God. We know God is holiness, and that's an attribute of God, purity or whatever. But we use definitions and things as such that may go beyond what we have in our vocabulary or our understanding. Uh, another one is having undisputed ascendancy. Uh, undisputed, nobody promoted or made him God. He is God. You know, Satan said he would uh, ascend to the Most High and he'll be like the Most High. But it wasn't anywhere for God to go. There's no ascendancy. God is. And that's a paramount power that's God. God is above all. And when you're talking about who had ascended and descended, none of that is, applies to God because he's all overall. That's there's no something there. Um, possessed supreme power, a sovereign ruler, an unlimited extent, absolute. Just some of the other words in that word sovereign, uh, enjoying autonomy, uh, independence. Uh, independent, and that's what God says. I created the world all by myself. I done it all. There's none other than me. There's no God beside me. That's what God is not dependent on anybody or anything. And so that's one thing about God's sovereignty that He is autonomous. God doesn't need anything to exist. He is existence itself. God exists. God is. When he told Moses, I am that I am. (laughs) Relating to characteristics of or befitting a supreme ruling, like I said, uh, one of the characteristics that we don't want to make a caricature of God. We don't want to exalt one aspect, the attribute of God over another, or be dogmatic about anything. We talk about his holiness, but we could talk about God being merciful. God is a merciful God. That God is a just God. God is a righteous God. You, When we talk about ultimate balance, that's what we're talking about, our God. Uh, sovereignty as a noun. Supreme power, especially over a body politic. Freedom from external control. Controlling influence. Um, but all of those, like I said, wraps in and dovetails into the same that when we think about God being sovereign, that God is God is sovereign and that we're children of that God, it should be able to change our faith walk. It should be able to change our life. And that's as as we live down here, as Jesus lived, he lived, and man should live by faith. And walk by faith. And that's the only way to please God. And pleasing a sovereign God, that is told faith in him. That's the faith that's delivered unto the saints. That is a belief in God. And I tell you, those that were ordained, as many as believe, the book of Acts, as many as believe were ordained unto eternal life. Because God has to give you the power to believe. He has to open up the understanding to where you can believe. So that's what the sovereign God does. And I was telling you about no comparison in God. There's no power struggle between God and Satan. God speaks and Satan says, here I am. And where are you going from? Well, I've been doing this. 
He has the answer to God. Amen. Yes, he does. Psalm 145 and 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. The question is, how near? How near is God? This question has to be asked because many times we feel that God has gone off somewhere far off or something. As Moses was coming up to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was closing in behind him and the Red Sea was there in front of him and Moses started to cry unto God, you know, because he couldn't see the Red Sea, that big wet body of water that he couldn't cross. And he's seen this army coming to kill him for leading a rebellious group of Israelites out of from captivity. And he cried out unto God. The people cried out unto God. And God asked Moses, why cry unto me? If God had commanded you to do something, if God tells you something, and so I say living by faith, that we didn't look at it then that they had to operate by faith as we do today. They lived by faith. They believed God. It, it wasn't what they call, we call, place. we have to say believe. Abraham believed God. Mm. You know, we have to trust God. Yeah. What well, God had told him what to do, to carry the people off. I, I don't know about the directions at the Red Sea, it, but when God tells you to do something, he equips you to do what he tells you to do. God's not going to send you to preach and he hadn't given you the ability to preach. A lot of people tell you and say, well, if you're supposed to be a preacher, you should have a church. That's why, you know, most preachers have a place to preach at. Yes. Yes. And they have a congregation to preach to. You have the authority of God in investing this within certain ones. And Moses was crying. He said, why cry unto me? What's that in your hand? He says, those are the rock. He said, well, stretch it out across the sea and get across that Red Sea. Because sometime it wasn't a time for praying. It was a time for going on and leading the people away. See, sometimes God is not as quite as real. But now in the New Testament, we see that he said, he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And that's why Jesus, when he says he was going away, but he was going to send a another comforter to you, that he should dwell in you, he should be with you, and he'll lead you and guide you in all truth. Because Moses wasn't prepared to go out in the wilderness. He learned that lesson. He says, I'm not going unless your presence go with me. Mm -hmm. And that's when God sent the angel of the Lord along with him. We should know God is within us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God Mm -hmm. and that he dwells within us. See, Jesus seen the proximity of God. That's why I say, <clears throat> where a lot of people make their mistake is keep looking at Jesus as the God man, as God. But you need to look at Jesus as the man. Mm-hmm. Jesus as a man, because that's why he came down here and lived the life as a man. So we as men could live as he so lived. Yes. And see, he trusted God and he believed He was one with God. Now, we believe that body of doctrine. If we believe the Bible and we're contending for that faith, we believe he loved us, loved us with the same love and that we are born again and that anything we ask the Father in Jesus' name, we'll have that. We, We have the same care that we're joint heirs with Christ. 
and that it is finished, that he had made a way that we have to just walk in the way, walk as he walked. If we could continue in his word as his disciples, that we'll accomplish. He says, greater works you do that I did. Greater works. A greater volume of works shall we do. So we got to see ourselves in the oneness with God. Those attributes and characteristics coming to us, being made in his image and his likeness. We have to embody these things. It says, we have to ask this because the Bible describes him as a God who is both far and near. He is both at the same time. And now we know the word omniscient and omnipresent, that God is always there. Sometimes our iniquity separates us from God. Walking in darkness separates us. We can't feel the strength of God the way we feel when we walk in darkness or have fellowship in darkness. He is far in recognition of his sovereignty and of his position in relation to the rest of the creation. A lot of people see God is up there as the Israelites was in a strange land. They had been carried off to Babylon and they say, how can we sing songs to God in a strange land? They had to pray toward Jerusalem. But we know those that worship God shall worship him in spirit and truth that you can worship God anywhere. He is far above us in, in that regard to that God is above in the heaven of heavens and that he told Solomon, how can you build a house that could contain me and that earth is his footstool? So we have to see God as far and above us, and, uh, us all, but he is all over. He is over all and directs and controls everything. Always with an overall purpose in mind. We have to realize that and that anything going on in our life lines up with what God's doing. Like I said, he's a God that's involved with his creation. He's a hands-on God. He provides the maintenance for his creation. If we desire to have a good relationship with God, we will have to take this last fact into consideration because it affects our lives that he does everything with his overall purpose in mind. Calamity, he say he create good, he create evil, dark, and light. So there's a purpose for whatever's going on in your life. We may need to take time and ask God why or what's going on to give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding, but we should know that out of the chaos we see in the world, it's not chaos to God that all things are working together for good. And God does have a purpose in what he's doing. Whatever he's doing, whether we understand it or not, we have to be able to pray to God and line up with his will so we can start seeing things from his perspective. That's what God's will do. God, our praying doesn't change God. We can't change God. He's an immutable God. He's unchangeable. But it, what his praying and his will does, it lines us up with his word because he answers us according to his will. And that's when we know we have, so that lines us up with the word of God. And that's what washes and cleanses. That's what gives sight to our eyes, that anointing that it's in us. 
It anoints us with our side that we can see. We're no longer layered to sins. That anointing breaks the yoke. It brings us out of bondage. And we're light and we dwell in the light. And his light shines upon our path. He says his word would be a lamp unto our path and a light unto our feet. So afar off it might be like a lamp, light, but then close up God's word is like a lamp. It's for seeing close also. So a lighthouse full off, but close nigh. There are occasions when he may be, there may be occasions when he be, listen at this close, don't don't keep repeating it. There may be occasions when he may be unable. Can I say unable about God? Now a lot of people say, what do you mean God is unable to do something? Listen to what I'm saying, please. When he is unable to act in our behalf on one of our requests because other people's situations whose lives touch on ours must be resolved first. He's doing something over here. He has to resolve something in this individual's life before he can feel your request in this line. That's why I say we shouldn't even want to be God. Can you imagine the irons God has in the fire? Yes. A lot of us want to get to the front of the line, and but God does things in its own time. Yes. Daniel was praying to God, oh, God, help me. And, you know, when it's you, when you got it, you know, when you're in a bind, you know, you got this, that, and you got it, you know, it's going to happen to you, and you praying and crying for God to resolve this now. And it don't happen. Sometimes God don't move fast enough for us. But the angel told Daniel, say, I heard you some two or three weeks ago when you first started praying. Didn't he hear Daniel? Mm-hmm. He heard him the moment he started praying. But he said he was busy fighting the prince of Greece and another angel had to help him come fight. And when he left there, he was going to fight somebody else. So he was going to fulfill. Daniel was great and everything. And God hadn't left you stewing over here, Daniel. Mm -hmm. You know, when Jesus came back in Martha and Mary, it seemed like they were kind of sour with him. You know, Lord, if you had to come, my brother wouldn't have died. We called you three or four days ago. Where you was? Why you didn't come run over here? You could have saved him. He said, I was about my father's business. Because when they came and told him, he said, let us go over here. He had something else to do. Yeah. And they over at home stewing that their brother died. He doing something else. He could have saved it. But then when Jesus got there, he says, well, that was to glorify God. He knew he was going to come wake Lazarus up. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't in their time. Say, I am the resurrection. Say, he'll live again. He said, I know he'll live again, but in the resurrection... They, they didn't know they was going to get to live with Lazarus again right then. He said, I am the resurrection. Yep. So we have to see a sovereign God, and that kind of wakes us up to give us more perspectives if something happened to us. What happens if he take our life and we lose it? He can give us our life back. If you lose your life for his sake, you're saving your life. He's the one who can wake you from the dead. So we don't fear what can happen to us in this life. That's why I say if you can start seeing the sovereignty of God and understanding the sovereignty of God, it'll make your faith walk just that much better. 
Now, Job, he wasn't aware, and he was wanting to have conference with God. He wasn't aware of the wager between Satan and God. He wasn't aware of it. Job was totally unaware of what was being worked out through him, around him, what was happening to his children. Even Satan was having something proved to him by God because he challenged God. You know, a lot of times you want a challenge to show everybody who's who. You know, that's why he told Pharaoh, I raised you up for this purpose to destroy you. To show my strength in you, that's the reason I raised you up to destroy you. That's the sovereignty of God. He can take the life of one. He can break the pot and start over again. He raised Pharaoh up to destroy him. So he was going around and Satan challenged him and said, I bet you I can make him curse you to your face. Oh, that's a challenge to God's authority, to what God's created Job, what God thinks of Job, how he's made and put what he's put in Job. I allow you to do what you want to do. Now, look, you my servant, don't touch his life. You can do whatever you want to him, but don't touch his life. Like Balaam, you know, Balak had gave him all that money to curse the children of Israel. But he told Balak, now, I, can't, I can't go beyond what God says now. What he tell me to say that which I must say. All that money he gave Balak, Balak thought telling him stop talking because each time he went to curse the children of Israel, he blessed them. Because he couldn't go beyond what God had told him to do. Even though we do things just like Joseph's brothers, we motivate and do things, God turns that to his use as good. See, all those years Joseph went through, all it was, was to bring, he works to bring his word to pass because didn't Joseph tell them that he had a dream with them and all the brothers, all the brothers and the father would bow down to him? Didn't that happen in Egypt? But they had sold him to Potiphar, to the Midianites. But all along the way, this other things was going on. So this had to be some 30, 20, or 30 years later that this prophecy of what God's word had said through Joseph, God's working to bring his word. He's going to bring his word to pass now. He's working to perform his word now. See how all this is going on? So this is what happens with God. In the vernacular, uh, in the way we talk today, God said to the devil, okay, Satan, see if you can break Job. I challenge you to see if you can break him. Go ahead on, there he is, he's in your hands, do what you want to do to him. Have at it. We, we realize this, now, don't we? Yes. Are you listening to what I'm saying, Deacon? Yes. yes. The apostles, the apostles. Mm. Peter told, Jesus told Peter, he said, you know what, Peter? Satan had asked permission of me to sift you like wheat. Now, this is Satan, the one who had said, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down. If you be the son of God, do all these. He came to Jesus and asked permission of Jesus that could he have Peter, that he was going to sift him like wheat. (laughs) But Jesus was banking on Peter. He says, now, when you come, I've prayed for you. 
I've prayed for when you come around, strengthen your brother. He knew he was going to come through that. That's a sovereign God. It wasn't nothing Satan could toss after Peter that was going to change that. He was able to choose a devil, and he said, hadn't I chose one of you and you a devil? Did he try to convert him, or did he say he was a devil? So I don't know why people talk about this casting of lots about Bartius or something and Matthias, which was the 13th apostle or whatever. Mm-hmm. When God had talked about the place being taken, your apostleship or your bishopric should be given to another in the book of Psalms, was saying that Paul had been chosen as one born out of due time. He was chosen way back then. Apostle Paul was chosen to be that apostle, that 13th apostle. Like he didn't, so you can't say he didn't know Jesus was Kafal. He knew he was a devil when he chose him. And he knew it was built upon the prophets and the apostles. And he had 12 apostles that were 12 gates. My, my, my. If we know the word of God, if we that that's part of what sovereignty is, knowing the doctrine of God, that's what strengthens you. Now that we have more understanding and the Bible is complete, we realize that he was also a God who was near because he strengthened Job so that he could resist the temptations of the most powerful being to tempt him. And Job set up just fine, and he tells us, I'll keep you. In the book of Revelation, he says, I keep you during the hour of trial and tribulation of temptation. He was going to keep us doing that. There will be some that will be kept during that time, that great tribulation that's coming on earth. He'll keep us during that hour. Because this book has been written and because Job endured this, we now have a clear picture why at times bad things happen to good people. A lot of people wonder why do bad things happen to good people. Have you ever read the book of Job? You see why. You see that God is a God that if you read the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, if you study God, you'll start to understand a lot of time the wicked had prosper and live to good ripe old ages. Yeah. Their children prosper. That's one of the reasons he allowed all that to happen to Job so that he didn't have a book to put it in to show other people because wasn't the Old Testament written for our admonition? Yes. For us to look back upon and understand some of the things we're going through? It's it's not uncommon to man what we're going through. Some of our brethren before us have went through these things. We can also see that this book of Job shows that God has faith in us too. It does not work just one way. He loves us all with that same love as he loved Job, Jesus, all of the people of he had chosen. God has was working from afar with his overall picture in mind for mankind, and God was also working nearby. So we should see God consistently busy, even as I told you last week. With them walking around the walls of Jericho those seven times without saying anything and shout that the walls fell down, God is always working. Jesus said, the Spirit doeth yet work. He says, my Father is always working. 
He's not an idol God. Jeremiah, the 15th chapter, first to the fourth verse says, Then the Lord said to me, Even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me interceding for them, my heart still would not be turned with favor toward this people of Judah. Send them away from my presence and out of my sight and let them go. And it shall be that when they say to you, Where should we go? Then tell them, Thus says the Lord, Those that's destined for death to death, those that's destined for the sword to the sword, those for famine to famine, those for captivity to captivity. I will appoint four kinds of destroyers over them, says the Lord. The sword to slay, the dogs to tear and drag away, and the birds of the air, and the beast of the earth to defile and destroy. He says, I will make them an object of horror to all the nations of the earth because of Manasseh, the despicable son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for the evil and detestable things which he did in Jerusalem. So if God did that to his people, wasn't, I said it was a for example unto us, and he warns us and tells the churches in Revelations, unless they repent, he'll come and fight against them with the sword of his mouth. In other words, with the word of God, there's different ways he shall deal with them, and they're destined for destruction and captivity, abound, us uh, being scattered. God scatters, and I've taught that many a time. God scatters the church. He brought the persecution upon the Jerusalem church that they were scattered because they wasn't going out into all the nations preaching the gospel. And when he had told them of the destruction of the temple, that the temple was going to be destroyed within 70 years, Titus Vespasian came in and destroyed the temple. And all that it was according to his word, according to his word, all of this was done. So he brings about his word. His sovereignty is carrying out and looking in his maintenance and involvement in the things of the earth is that he rise up kingdoms, he bring kingdoms down. All of the kingdoms that was prophesied came to reckon that Lord God is the Lord of all. So the church has been purposely scattered by God, and it's of many of the nominations and churches that break up, but God is in there. God, we can't exclude God from anything. All of this is within God. We can't operate outside of God because of his sovereignty, his omnipresence. Nothing of this magnitude occurs without his permission. What's going on in a nation, an election, and some people tell you, but if you don't do this, well, it's not. none of this is dependent upon you. It's all dependent upon God. So we need to ask God for understanding and a wisdom to know what is going on, what is happening. Because he says, if you were his friends, he gives his friend a view of what's going on. Because he had told his disciples that when you see all this coming to pass, don't come down. If you're in a field, don't go back to flee Jerusalem at that time. Because this was going to happen. No matter what other people's preaching or teaching to you. If he has given Satan his permission to be the actual instrument of scattering, it still would never have happened if God did not agree that it needed to be done. God ordains these things. God ordained the Syrian king, uh, uh, son of Cherub, to do what he did. He ordains and 
God allows these things because it's all within his will. Okay? Something Satan came up with the idea and got into the flock and scattered it. No, Satan can only do what we allow him to do as God's people. And that's why he said, he that overcometh, he had given us the instruments to overcome Satan, to overcome all of the things of the world. That's why he said, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why we need a sovereign God. That's why we need God to fight this war. That's why we pray to him to strengthen us. That's why we pray and ask him to direct us according to his word. We have to follow that path. Could Satan do anything without God's permission? No. There's there's no bird, a sparrow doesn't fall without God knowing it. There's not a hair that falls off your head that God has any knowledge of. Nothing happens outside of God. I keep telling you these things. Now, if he's noting a sparrow, which is worth, what, two pence or whatever, nothing, if he's taking note of the sparrows that falls, that's the kind of God we serve. Impossible, and if God gave his permission, then it was his will that it occurs. Satan became merely instruments of God's power in doing this to Job and in anything else that these things, sometimes what Satan does, he, he disguises and deceives himself, but it is us that allows this deception by not studying and taking heed to his word that we be strengthened. That's why I say if we're walking in darkness, we yield unto, because God is giving us power to overcome. It's just like Job. He was rooting for Job the whole time. The whole time he, he was on Job's side, even though Job thought God was against him. His friends were saying things that maybe was applicable in some parts of God's word, but it wasn't applicable to Job and his situation. That's why we have to know the word of God for ourselves because some people twist the word of God or pronounce things in the word of God upon situations that you know that's not true. When he was calling Job a cheapskating by this, that, no, he knew what he did for the widows, the poor people, the servants and everything. Let nobody know God outside of you. You have to know God for yourself. You have to have a relationship with God. This sovereign God wants to have a relationship with you. And I told you about the deist that said that God left and we have to defend ourselves the strong survive. He's not a deistic God. He's a hands-on God. In this world, especially in this Western world of high technology and its sophistications that come along with that technology, the spirit of the times influences ever toward the deification of created, meaning man, ourselves, rather than the glorification of God. Man thinks through technology and all these things that he's ever so smart in that we could repair man, we can do this, or we can create life, and they're trying to clone and all these things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get too wise for our own self. That's why the wise of this world 
God chose the foolishness of this world to confound the wise. And that's what we lack, wisdom in God, a wisdom of God, a knowing God. We have to actually know God, and we have to walk with God and not let technology or or the modern influences of time and science get us away from believing that God is in everything. I went to my rheumatologist the other day, my arthritis doctor, and, you know, he talked about the church and everything. Was I still doing these things? One thing he did do before I left there, that he helped me. He got me by my hand, held in my hand, and he prayed for me. Mm. And these are the things I tell people. The doctors, the lawyers, judges, God has people everywhere. If I've ever met a godly person, these people that God puts in life are godly. They may not do the same. See, we don't know who are the elect who God had chosen. He says, beware, you've entertained angels unaware. Watch if God sent in life. You have to develop that character of God and receive what he had given us through his creation. When we add the constant influences of this nation, secular flowing from every means of electronic communications, newspapers, magazines, entertainment, plus from academia and religion, this evil deification of mankind is rapidly permeating the whole world. We see when Elon Musk took over Twitter and some of the things the people were left it leaving that platform or whatever it says because you can't allow people to say just anything or whatever because there's so much misinformation out there. There's so much wrong information. And misinformation, these some people are purposely placing misinformation on there, saying whatever comes in because Satan is the god of this world. And as I tell you, technology and corporations and social media platforms and everything are going to be the demise of a many of Christian people that are so-called God-fearing people. There are these traps. And then there are some of the sheep that may give their clothes or their covering to wolves. In other words, these sheep may not be with us. In other words, the wolves overcome them. That's how you have wolves in sheep's clothing. Yes. They've done kill the sheep. In the book of Amos, he's talking about those that fleece the flock and they eat the hooves and all of the part. There's a lot of them that are brought to poverty, giving their wealth to the wealthy, giving their wealth to the churches and everything, yes. thinking that God's going to bless them or whatever. Through misunderstanding and false teaching, he if Jesus taught on anything more, he taught on the false prophets and the false teachers. Yes. He told us to beware. There'd be many antichrists and false teachers out there. Satan is coming by way of the church. The antichrist, Satan's ministers are being transformed into angels of light. God says in Hosea 4 and 6 that his people, that his people in this case, meaning ancient Israel, are destroyed for the lack of, of a true knowledge of God. God then lays the greater blame on the teachers for their failure to teach the truth. That's the problem we have. That's why I tell you, beware of Christian nationalism. This thing that's rising up in America, beware of this. This is the Babylon that we're dealing with here. 
this this Christianity, this this national Christianity that's arising. The interpreter's commentary says that ignorant in God in Romans ten three can correctly be translated as ignoring, ignoring, revealing a deliberate disregarding of God's righteousness. I talked about righteousness the other day. Ignoring God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, their self-righteousness, which is like filthy rags. We have to beware. Ignorant meaning ignoring. Ignoring these things. The sovereignty of God, thy kingdom come. Matthew 3, 1 through 2 says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, even before Christ's ministries began, the prophet John prepared the way for Jesus' central message, that is, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is right here, it's at hand. Even at this time, Ironically, the idea of the kingdom of God was not new to man. And this was not a new idea, but it became more focused or more dogmatic when Jesus brought this in after John the Baptist, this preparatory ministry of John the Baptist. In the Old Testament's core idea for Israel was God's kingdom on earth, the nation over which God ruled directly. And that's why he talks about Jerusalem but he talks about a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. This is a spiritual Jerusalem. When he talks about Ezekiel's temple and this which is being built, we see that this is spiritual. This is a spiritual kingdom. This is a spiritual temple. John the Baptist cry in the wilderness signified a change in understanding that Jesus would explain through his ministry and inaugurate through his church the kingdom, that God would establish this. Remember I said we're going to have a transferal from believe and truth into faith? Yes. yes. Faith because now here's the object of our faith. This is what we actually believe and trust in, Jesus Christ. The Greek word underlying kingdom is basileo which means a kingdom or a ram. And you remember I told you, sovereign over a ram or a spear. That is the area or country that a king's governed. And you remember he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm. So there's a new world, a new heaven and a new earth coming in. He's bringing that in. He says, he says Herod says, are you a king? And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. However, it can be also denote royal or kingly power, authority, or dominion, a king's reign or rule, or even his royal dignity. So it not only speaks of a king's geographical domain, domain, but it also refers to his authority and right to govern, in other words, to his sovereignty. And I told you about that ascendancy, and the word sovereignty is not appointed or whatever, but this is the righteous king that was coming. You remember it said a king that was going to come that's going to rule in righteousness. This is ordained of God. This is the stone that's not carved out with hands, but this is the spiritual stone. This is the stumbling block here. This is the cornerstone that the builders rejected. This comes from God. 
The idea of the kingdom of God then is not limited to a specific place or even to a particular time. It is the reign or rule of God wherever and whenever it is in effect and he brings forth. You remember he says, when is the, you go set up the kingdom and he says, it's not for you to know. And he didn't even know the time, he said. It is not given to you to know the time that the Father had, had in his time. Thus, the Apostle Paul could write in the book of Colossians 1.13 that God's converted people have already been conveyed into the kingdom of his love. It says you've been translated into the kingdom of his love that we set in heavenly places. If Christ is ruling and reigning in our life, that now our body is no longer our body. It is Christ that liveth in us. It's Christ that's doing the work in us. If we're releasing and releasing this sovereignty unto him, we are turning it over. We're dying to self and we're presenting our body as a living sacrifice under God to do what he wants with it. Our body is no longer our body. Jesus' ministry proclaimed the good news of the coming of, the, of that kingdom, but not just its culmination in the dim mist of the future, he announced that the Father was op- opening an interest into the kingdom immediately for the chosen few. That is the church. See John 1, 12 through 13, 6, 35 to 40, and Matthew 22, 1 through 14. I'm not going to go over those. But this kingdom of God, it's right here among you. The kingdom of God is within you. Whoever's going to receive this, if we couldn't receive it, you have eternal life. And he's saying, now you have this. Remember, he told him you will inherit houses and brothers and sisters, not only in the life to come, but in this life. How can you actualize this? You have to start actualizing this, that it's a done deal of the sovereign God. If you grow and increase in the knowledge and in the faith of Jesus Christ, that kingdom is coming that we're praying for. That kingdom is ascend, descending down, coming as a dove, that it came down on Jesus. That kingdom is here. The time is here. Those who responded positively to his call would come under Christ's rule in this life. Luke 12 and 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John four twenty three to twenty four, it says, "But the hour cometh, and now is, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth." Right after the baptism of in Acts two thirty eight, I was in a Pentecostal church that used to preach Acts two thirty eight. But listen at 239, it says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are forth, as many as the Lord God shall call. As many. That promise is to all of them. Don't let anybody talk to you about the Jews and the chosen people. Grab the promise given unto Abraham. He's the father of the faithful that have the faith of Abraham. Remember, it was imputed unto Abraham for righteousness. That's the faith we have to have. First Thessalonians 2.12 says that you would walk worthy of God who had called you unto his kingdom and glory. If we would walk therein, that's why I say we bulletproof in God. 
He says, fear not who can kill the body and the soul. Fear him who can destroy the whole spirit, soul, and body in hell. So we need to not fear men. That's why the disciples, the apostles and things, they was marred. They was killed all different types of ways, but they didn't value their lives no more. Remember the boldness of Peter? He wasn't afraid anymore. He hadn't given us a spirit of fear. He says that you would walk worthy of who had called you unto his glory, into his kingdom and glory, to live lives of honor, moral courage, and personal integrity, worthy of the God who saves you and calls you into his own glory, that we would live that way now, put on Christ. If we putting on Christ and pulling off the old man, we don't know how far of the extent God will go with us. Will he go all the way? Because he said there'll be some still alive when I return you to see me come, to see that advent. I want to be amongst those that see that kingdom, to see God come back. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude and offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with reverence and awe. These are the things that we just see our Father as being sovereign and that God is our Father. He say, pray our Father, our Father. Our Father's in control. Despite an impressively detailed descriptions of God's personal involvement here in Genesis and everywhere else, does it not appear that because the world is so evil that Satan has far more to do with affairs on earth than God? But what we have to see that Satan is the God of this world. And Jesus said that this world is passing away with the evil and the corruption. All of the things they are, all of the elements, the remnants of this kingdom is leaving. Satan had deceived the whole world. But we know as that world passing away that God is building us a kingdom. He's bringing forth a kingdom for us to rule and reign. And he's preparing an elect. He's preparing some of us to rule and reign there that shall not see death, he says. Can you comprehend? Can you bring this promise into yourself? He says, countering that those, the, though, countering that though, is that God's word shows Satan has a tight enough leash on him on him that he can only do what God permits, that God has him bound. You remember he was bound in the bottomless pit, yes. that he has a hold. Satan can't do nothing to you that you let, don't let him do. Yeah. Don't give power to the devil. Don't give power. He had God, Jesus rose up with all power and all authority. And we shall rule and reign with him. The reality is that despite appearances, God is in complete control. Satan has no control or authority here on earth. How can we know this for certain? Well, it depends on whether we are walking by faith or by sight. Stop looking at what you're seeing and start stop feeling anxiety, stress, and depression or whatever. See the bright side of things. See the sun rising. Because if the foundation shall be destroyed, where the righteous and the godly shall be, it's got to come down. It, what does walk by faith signify? 
It means that our thoughts about life's events and the circumstances they, they create and our conduct are regulated and carried out based on the word of God and not based in this world, not based on the stock market, not based on how people treat us, not based on what we literally or figuratively can see or hear or whatever. It's based in the word of God. Our very being is in the word. We have become the word is we're becoming the word. We're becoming the light. We're becoming one with God in our imminent destruction of the old man. The new creation is coming out and we're mortifying this old body. So we're, it's a, it's like a dichotomy. We see ourselves wasting away, but we see ourselves growing stronger each day. We see ourselves with more hope. We see ourselves with more love and peace because our God is infusing us with his spirit, with his life. That's his life. His spirit is his life. He's given us eternal life. He said, continue being filled with the Spirit. Continue being filled with that Spirit. It is literally and truly our guide. If we walk by the Word and live by the Word, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Live by this. The sovereignty of what God Almighty has said is wrapped up in this Word. News reports indicate that the pillars of our culture are crumbling and clearly are out of joint. Climate change and all of the things, the variance that's going. I have on shorts what it is, the 22nd of, no, of November. Mm-hmm. We're having shorts and air conditioning things on. But there is climate change and the world is crumbling down upon us. It says, the living says, law and order have collapsed. We are told... What can the righteous do but flee? Death here, we see shootings and killings, unsensible killings. All of these murders and things, but what shall the righteous do? It says, if the foundations of a godless society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We know from Bible prophecy that living conditions are going to get worse. It says, earthquake, wars, rumors of wars. He says, see that you be not moved. He says, these things shall not come nigh thee. See that you be not. It's going to get worse. He says, Habakkuk, you think it's bad now, you just wait. But the just shall live by faith. That's why I say, living by faith in a sovereign God. We will have to continue on with this later on because I said, it's him who scatters the church. But with that witness so apparent before our eyes, whom do we believe is regulated in the affairs of this earth? God or the devil? Uh, God's running thing. The sovereign God. And we're looking to him each and every day. He's in control. Heavenly Father, as we come before you.